Let Me Tell You a Story, podcast number 24. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Call me Ishmael. It was the age of wisdom. Some years ago. Never mind. It is a truth universally acknowledged. You don't know about me without you. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story with hosts Steve and Becky Lyle. Settle back into your seat, step onto your favorite fitness machine, or lace up your walking shoes, and enjoy stories from a variety of genres and authors. Hi, this is Steve. Hi, this is Becky. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story. Before we get going, we'd like to invite listeners to submit short stories, book excerpts, essays, vignettes, poems, other writings for our consideration. If you have something like that, send an attachment to story at beckyliles.com. We'd like to offer a variety to our listening audience, so the sky's the limit. Just keep it clean. We won't promise to use your submission, but we'll definitely take a look at it. Hey, this is a great way for authors to offer potential new readers samples of their writing. By the way, no money is exchanged in the process. We don't pay you for your contribution, and you don't pay us to read your work. That sounds fair. Or you could pay us anyway. That sounds even better. I like that. Today, we're excited to have our friend Valerie Gray read read one of her short stories for us. This one, from our compilation titled Passageways, is called Tangled. Take it away, Val. I'd only been in bed a few minutes when the latch on my bedroom door clicked. I yanked the covers to my chin and squeezed my eyes closed. Maybe this time my stepfather would think I was asleep. The floor squeaked twice before I felt his hot breath on my cheek. I didn't move. I know you're awake. Richard's voice was low, but I heard the anger that always simmered beneath his stony exterior like a shark lurking in calm water. Roll over. Through narrowed lids, I saw his burly silhouette outlined by the hall light and the glint of the belt buckle in his hand. I squeaked. I'm trying to sleep. He ripped the blanket from my grip. You deserve this, so stop your whimpering. I'll go to sleep faster, I promise. I tried to grab my covers back. Please don't spank me. He flipped me like a pancake. Too little, too late. I screamed and scooted as far as I could to get away. Mama, help! I don't know why I yelled for her. She'd never before protected me from her husband. Richard shoved me into the wall, howling like an animal. He whipped my legs, my arms, my back, and my bottom again and again. I curled into a ball. Stop, please stop, I cried. I'll be good. The ceiling light flashed on and I heard my mom say, Richard, leave her alone. You stay out of it. At the sound of a slap and a thump, I rolled over just in time to see what happened. Mom was slumped against the wall, staring at Richard. You hit me! She sounded surprised. Then she started to cry. He reached for her. I didn't mean to hurt you. She pulled away. He swung around, glowering at me. Now look what you did. He ushered my mom out of the room, turned off the light, and slammed the door shut. 
Later that night, while I was still awake and crying silently in my pillow, my stepfather entered my room again. I began to tremble. He'd come back to finish what he started. I just knew it. But he just stood beside my bed. Although I lay as still as I could manage, I knew, he knew, I was awake. Somehow, he always knew. Finally, he spoke. Things got out of hand tonight, Karen. I'm sorry, but you must be a good girl and not upset me again. With that, he left the room. I was relieved to know there would be no more beatings that night. But it was small comfort. If I could have been good enough to keep from making Richard angry, I would have tried even harder to please him. But good enough was impossible. My stepfather beat me well into my teen years. By that time, I developed my own brand of rage, seething under my breath every time he accused me of something I didn't do. I constantly lied to him because he never believed the truth. I was insecure, unhappy, and unloved, and I attempted to escape my misery through drinking, drugs, and friends. One perfect summer evening, my girlfriends and I hosted a party to celebrate our 18th birthdays. The night air was warm and filled with the sound of music and laughter, and the smell of alcohol. The party got wilder as the night wore on. After midnight, the dancing spilled out into the street. But I sat at the makeshift bar in the front yard, talking with one friend after another. I couldn't believe it when Steve Reynolds sat down next to me. He was popular and cute, and older than I was. He had brown eyes that twinkled. No kidding. It was like there was light behind his eyes. He smiled, and my heart did a little dance. Hey, he said, I hear you're one of the birthday girls. He held up his Coke bottle to toast me. Happy birthday. I'd never done a toast before, but I lifted my Coke just like in the movies, and we clinked our bottles together. Thanks. We talked for a while. He was sweet and fun and sort of shy, but that didn't stop him from teasing me. After a bit, he finished his drink and put it down. I'd better hit the sheets if I'm going to make it to church in the morning. I hated for our conversation to end, but I said, Hey, yeah, it's getting late. I motioned towards my friends who were still singing and dancing in the street. I'm afraid the neighbors are going to call the cops if those guys don't quiet down. He spun on a stool and stopped so that he faced me. Why don't I pick you up in the morning and take you to church with me? I was so surprised I choked on my drink. Somehow I managed to say, I guess I could do that. He helped me out of my chair, but continued to hold my hand which seemed to buzz where his skin touched mine. What time, I asked. I I tried to act cool. But inside, I was jumping up and down, thrilled to be going out with him. Church wasn't my thing. But I was more than willing to go anywhere Steve Reynolds asked me to go. Starts at 10. I'll pick you up around 9.30 if that's okay with you. He looped his arm in mine. I'll walk you home. You live a couple of blocks from here, right? How did you know? He winked. Good guess. I grinned. Despite my fear, I might not be able to walk a straight line. Though I'd only drunk a soda pop, 
I felt intoxicated. As we left the party arm in arm, I nonchalantly waved goodbye to my girlfriends. Shocked and maybe a little bit of jealousy were written all over their pretty faces. When we reached my front door, Steve gave me a gentle hug and said, See you in the morning. I didn't sleep much that night. The church service was surprisingly enjoyable. I began to go every week, even when I knew Steve wouldn't be there. Soon the Lord showed me how much I needed Him, and I asked Him to come into my life. He forgave my sins, filled me with His love, and made me His child. Hope flooded my poor hungry soul. For the first time in my life, I knew that somehow I'd be okay. I discovered God promised peace and protection in the Bible, and I drank up His word like the thirsty soul I was. I began to trust Him and know Him. He was more real to me than anyone I'd ever known. I could tell Him anything, and He listened. I learned to listen, too, and over time, my sassy, rebellious heart was healed. I became a different person. My stepdad watched all this. One day, I came home to discover my pastor sitting in the living room with him. I hated to think what Richard was telling him about me and was about to head straight for my bedroom, but he motioned for me to join them. To my amazement, the pastor was showing Richard in the Bible, How to Become a Christian, Something I Never Dreamed Possible. I sat down between the two men and witnessed the amazing moment my stepfather asked Jesus to save him. From that point forward, our relationship changed. It wasn't perfect, but Richard never beat me again, and I never sassed him again either. Even after Steve and I were married and we had children, Horrible scenes from my childhood haunted me at night. Worse yet, I discovered I harbored the same anger and lack of self-control my stepfather had. I didn't beat my children. In fact, I was quite lenient with them because I was afraid I'd follow in Richard's footsteps. On nights when I didn't have the patience to deal with a screaming infant, Steve graciously walked the floor with him or her. One night when he was tending the baby, I fell asleep and had another nightmare. I think it, I was, it was my pounding heart that awakened me. I rolled over and slowly breathed in and out, trying to calm myself. Why couldn't I forget the past? My mom had long since divorced Richard. Even so, she and I didn't talk much. I felt abandoned by her, and I hadn't known my real father. My stepfather, Richard, was really the only parent still involved in my life, if only at birthdays and holidays. My life was tangled and strange. God, I prayed, why do I feel like such a mess? There's got to be more. You didn't just save my soul for eternity. You died for my life here on earth, too. I was desperate for my heart to be healed. Consumed with my thoughts, I didn't notice the baby's wails had quieted until the bedroom door opened and Steve tiptoed back into the room. He sat down next to me and took my hand in his. Honey, he whispered, you're crying. With gentle fingers, he wiped the tears away. Let me pray for you. And he did, again. 
The next morning, I was greeted by a perfect spring day filled with new possibilities. A friend had offered to keep our kids for a few hours so I could work in my garden. When I returned from dropping them off, I poured myself a glass of iced tea and sat on the front porch watering my flowers and enjoying a moment of solitude, interrupted only by birdsong. I closed my eyes to soak in the calm and the sun's warmth on my face. When I opened them, I saw a familiar car drive up the street and pull into our driveway. My heart lurched. Richard, what is he doing here? Why wasn't he at work? After all this time, I still felt uneasy in his presence. I got up and went to the spigot to turn off the water. All the while, my heart was pounding in my ribs. I watched him walk across the grass toward me. Hey, Dad, what brings you here in the middle of the day? To my surprise, he embraced me in a bear hug, as if we hadn't seen each other in years. Finally, he stepped back. I need to talk to you about something. His voice was husky, and sunshine reflected off unshed tears in his eyes. My heart pounded even harder. Is something wrong? He ran a shaky hand over his thinning hair. That's why I'm here. Why was he so mysterious? Was he ill? Did he have cancer? Looking everywhere except at me, Richard opened his mouth, but then he closed it. After a bit, he cleared his throat. Karen, do you ever beat your kids? What? I felt the hairs on the back of my arms rise. Why, I asked. Why do you want to know? He held up a hand. I promise I'll explain later. Please tell me. This is important. I stared at my bare feet as I shuffled them back and forth on the grass. No, I never beat them. I give them lots of timeouts and sometimes I spank them. But if I'm angry, if I don't trust myself, I wait for Steve to come home or I send them to their room until I calm down. I looked at him. The calm comes easier these days. God and my husband have helped me with my temper. Thank you. I just needed to know. What do you mean you just needed to know? His neck turned red. Last night, the color spread upward. Last night, my sister and I went to see our mother in the nursing home. We asked her about the time she beat the two of us. I couldn't believe it when she looked us in the eye and outright denied she'd ever hit us. We reminded her of how she used to smash our fingers with our school books. She insisted she never did such a thing. I thought surely she'd remember throwing bricks at us. Instead, she said we had wild, evil imaginations. Oh, Dad, I had no idea. A butterfly floated between us. We watched it flutter away, and then he focused on me once again. The fact she didn't remember hurt more than the memories. I don't want you to live with memories I might forget. I folded my arms. I didn't care what he remembered or what he forgot. I just wanted to put the past behind me. I'd rather not go there, Dad. Please, Karen, please hear me out. He looked so miserable that I said nothing more and steeled myself for whatever was coming next. Up until yesterday, he said, 
I felt the same way. I thought it was best to let sleeping dogs lie. But I know now I was wrong. I frowned. He gripped my shoulders. I don't want you to think I forgot what I did to you. I remember all of it, and I am sorry. Will you please forgive me? The tears released and rolled down his cheeks. I was dumbstruck. Yes, I remembered the pain and suffering, but after so many years, I'd begun to wonder if the abuse really happened the way I remembered it. As I stared into his sad eyes, blood rushed to my head like I'd been turned upside down. I smiled. I forgive you, Dad. Immediately, I was back on my feet again, but this time, for the first time, they were on solid ground. Hey there, sleepyhead. Wake up. I opened my eyes and looked up from where I was resting my head on my arms at the foot of my stepfather's hospital bed. Oh, hi, Dad. I must have fallen asleep. I stood and stretched. Boy, it sure is good to see you awake. Thanks for the scare of a lifetime. I bent over to hug and kiss his cheek. Richard touched his temples. I must need my glasses, he chuckled. You look a bit fuzzy around the edges. I found his glasses on the nightstand and handed them to him. I've been here all night, so I probably do look rumpled and fuzzy. Who's home with your kids? He put the glasses on. Peering at me, he said, isn't Steve at work? The kids are all grown and married. No one needs me at home right now. I watched him try to figure things out. Had the stroke affected his memory? Remember all those great-grandchildren you have? Oh, yes, of course. He laughed that nervous laugh like he'd been doing more and more when reminded of his forgetfulness. That must be why you look a lot older than the last time I saw you. Gee, thanks, Dad. You sure know how to make a girl feel good about herself. I ran my fingers through my hair and pulled, pulled lip gloss from my purse. Oh, now stop that. I'm just teasing. He pushed a button to raise the head of his bed. I patted his arm. Before I nodded off, I was watching you sleep. You looked like you were having a bad dream. Do you remember it? He looked away. No, I don't remember a dream. But a tear collected in the corner of his eye and ran down his cheek. I grabbed a Kleenex to dab his face. Don't keep it inside, Dad. You know it's better to let out whatever's bothering you. What was it? He fidgeted with the bed covers. Just a memory, that's all. I sat in the chair beside his bed. Tell me about it, Dad. It's about that day. He looked at the ceiling. The day I went to your house to ask you to forgive me. For, well, you know. He glanced at me. Do you remember that day? I'll never forget it. I clasped his arms frail hand in mine. That was an important day for me, even though I'd already forgiven you. God had been healing my heart for many years, touching each broken part and making all things new, just like he promised to do. Now I had tears of my own. He grabbed a tissue and wiped at my cheeks. Go on, honey. Tell me why that day was so important to you. But then he scowled. After that, I wish you'd forget about it. I can never forget about that morning. You know why? He shook his head. Don't you know? 
I squeezed his hand. That was the day you became my dad. Thanks, Val. Great story. I'm wondering, do you remember what triggered the story in your head? Well, it is based on a true story, and even though I fictionalized it quite a bit, um, to just kind of really express what I was going through, it, it happened to me, and so I needed to express it. It was actually you, Becky, who suggested to fictionalize it, to just put some distance between me and the story, and it really helped. And you did a great job. Thank you. Since we've read from my fiction series, the first book is Winds of Wyoming, the second is Winds of Freedom, and I'm currently working on the third, Winds of Change. Do you sense a pattern there? Here's chapter one, well, a portion of chapter one from Winds of Wyoming. Kate Nielsen peered into the slot on the collection box lid. Was that money she saw on the bottom or crumpled paper? Sometimes people put weird stuff in offering boxes. The early morning sunshine hadn't reached her side of the dark log log chapel, but she didn't dare turn on the interior lights and attract attention. Maybe she should grab the flashlight from her car. She'd opened the side door at the front of the sanctuary, but she still couldn't see inside the box. Kate toyed with the padlock. All she needed was enough cash to get by until payday at her new job. If she left a note saying she'd pay it back right away, with interest, surely they'd understand. After all, she was down to her last ten. The floor creaked. Her heart stopped. That box is empty, sweetie. Stifling a gasp, Kate dropped the lock and spun around. A white-haired woman stood in the open doorway at the far end of the chapel. We haven't used it, the woman's voice cracked, since 2003. Kate darted for the foyer, her pulse pounding at her temple. No way were they going to catch her this time. She slammed against the front door, one twist of the handle and... Please don't leave. Drawn by the plaintive plea, she glanced back. Didn't mean to scare you. The lady lifted the canvas bag she was carrying. I came to arrange the flowers for this morning's service. Kate hesitated, her heart drumming her ribs, her breath locked in her lungs. The woman extended her palms. Stay and visit, please. I thought, Kate released the breath and sucked in a gulp of dry mountain air. I thought, because it's a church, it was okay to come in. The door was unlocked. I, the lady's red-tinted lips, parted in a wide, denture smile. That's why we call this the Highway Haven House of God. We want travelers who've been enjoying the drive through the mountains to feel free to spend time with the creator of those hills. She hobbled toward the altar table at the front of the room. The wood floor squeaked with each step. Kate clutched her chest to slow the hammering inside. What happened to the nerves of steel she'd honed on the streets of Pittsburgh? She took a breath. I've never heard of a church called Highway Haven before. The woman slid a vase from the center of the altar to the side. 
Our little cathedral is a one-of-a-kind place, at least in Wyoming. Old-timers say this used to be the site of the rowdiest saloon this side of the Missouri, until, she chuckled, until, as the story goes, a couple inebriated arm-wrestling patrons knocked over a kerosene lamp, and the bar burped to the ground. Burped? Kate squinted at her. How could someone with so many wrinkles, someone who said burped instead of burned, call other people old-timers? Oh, well, at least she was harmless. Moving from the foyer into the sanctuary, Kate dropped into a pew at the back of the room. The lady reached into her bag. She's got a gun. Kate grabbed the bench in front of her, ready to dive beneath it. But the smiling lady produced a tulip instead of a pistol. My name is Miss Forbes. What's yours? She pulled more tulips from her satchel. Kate gripped the pew back. Wouldn't the cops love that? Her fingerprints and her name. Even though she hadn't done anything wrong this time. After the tulips came lilac blossoms and a glass jar of water. Miss Forbes unscrewed the metal lid, poured the liquid into the vase, and added the flowers. She glanced at Kate, eyebrows raised. Kate folded her arms and sat back. That's okay. I shouldn't be so nosy. Miss Forbes plucked a tulip from the arrangement. For a long time, this was just an ugly pile of blackened rubble. But in the early 50s, a small congregation purchased the land and built this chapel in two days. She indicated the walls, the flower in her fingers bobbing back and forth. Raised the log walls the first day, added the roof the second. She slipped the tulip into the center of the blossoms. They called it Church on the Mountain. Kate rubbed her stiff shoulder muscles and stared through the large window that dominated the front of the chapel. The opening framed a postcard-perfect scene of evergreens and newly-leafed aspen in the foreground, with snow-crowned peaks in the background. A far cry from the cement prison yard she'd circled twice a day for five long years. If only she could immerse herself in her beautiful surroundings. But her mind wouldn't let go of the fact she hadn't heard the woman approach the building. She should have heard her footsteps outside the door, despite her slight stature. She chewed at her bottom lip. A senile senior citizen had not only caught her off guard, but scared her half to death. Had she been seduced by the serenity of the place, or too focused on the collection box? Kate checked the windows again. No one else around. Standing, she stepped into the aisle and started for the front, determined to persuade the old lady tell her where the church kept its stash. If she resisted, she'd explain her plan to repay the money. And if that didn't work, she'd have to do a little arm twisting. Her approach was no secret. The floor groaned with each footstep. But Miss Forbes continued to talk, her back to Kate. Years later, after the state constructed a highway right next to the parking lot, the congregation decided it was time for a name change. Six feet from the altar, Kate halted, knees flexed, feet planted wide. The woman turned from the flowers, her hands on her waist. Haven has a peaceful sound to it, don't you think? Her blue eyes flashed, similar to heaven. Kate flinched. She knows, she knows what I was about to do. She clenched her fists. What's wrong with me? Why would I even consider harming an elderly person or helping myself to church money? 
She wanted to run, but it was as though the woman's stare pinned her sandals to the floor. Her shoulders sagged. Would she ever get it right? She could have stayed on her knees asking God to bless her new endeavor. That was the plan, to pray. She could have ignored the offering box. That would have been smart. She could have walked out the church door with God's favor and no regrets. That would have... Are you okay? At the side of the woman's creased brow, Kate blinked and shifted her gaze. I meant to stop at the overlook, but this little church seemed so inviting. I stopped here first. The pungent perfume of the lilacs invaded her sinuses, making it hard to breathe. Miss Forbes returned the vase to the center of the table, made some adjustments, and smoothed the altar cloth. The overlook is a half mile down the road. Well worth the stop. We also have a nice view from the rear of the church property. I can take you there if you'd like. We have time before the church service begins. Kate sneezed and rubbed her nose. I would love to see it. She had to get out of the building before her sinuses swelled shut. And before she did something, she'd regret the rest of her life. Something that would put her back behind bars. She followed Miss Forbes. It was shorter than she was by several inches, out the side door of the log structure and onto a dirt path that led on into a shaded cemetery. Though the pink blossoms swinging at the end of her guide's long white braid made her smile, all Kate could think about was how close she'd come to doing something really stupid again. Might as well bang on Patterson State Penitentiary's gate, the gate she'd exited three months earlier, and beg the guards to let her back inside. She'd left her past in Pittsburgh, but thieving was apparently as natural as breathing for her. No matter where she was or how fervently she promised God she would change her ways. No wonder cell doors were revolving doors for her. She shuddered. With a three-strikes-year outlaw, and another mess-up would mean life without parole. Shaking away the unbearable thought, she focused on the hillside cemetery, speckled with headstones of every shape, tilt, and shade of gray and an occasional clump of snow. For the first time since they'd left the chapel, she heard the birds warble in the treetops and smelled the earthy, fresh fragrances of the forest, cleansing scents that soothed her spirit and cleared her head. Miss Forbes paused to pluck a withered knot from a cluster of jonquils. Her braid dropped forward to dangle above the flowers. We had quite the storm a few days ago, full of moisture, which is fairly typical of spring storms around here. I didn't need to water the grass this morning, but I washed the grave markers. She straightened, her joints snapping. Some think I'm silly, but my grandpa always said a society that honors the dead will honor the living. She kicked a pine cone off the grass that topped a grave. He was a deacon in this church for more than 50 yogurts. She pointed to tombstones several feet away. His and Granny's stones are those two matching ones. My parents are buried next to them. How long was your grandpa a deacon? For fifty? Eyebrows scrunched, the woman turned to Kate. Did I say something wrong? Oh, I just didn't understand. It's not you, sweetie, it's me. The woman sighed. My friends tell me I've been saying the craziest things ever since I tripped and hit my noggin on a headstone a couple years ago. They find it highly amusing. I'll be talking along fine, then something silly pops out. The doctor says it's a form of ambrosia. You mean amnesia? The older lady pursed her wrinkled lips. I don't know what I said, but my problem is called aphasia. I was told I might get over it, or I might not. 
The good news is that it's a language problem, not an intelligence issue, thank God. She snorted. Although some might question that. Kate knelt beside the markers. You must have meant to say your grandpa was a deacon for 50 years. What did I say? Um, yogurts. Oh my, no wonder my friends laugh. They shouldn't, Kate shook her head. They must know what you're really thinking. She'd endured her share of ridicule in school and foster homes, not to mention prison. Miss Forbes patted her shoulder. Thank you, but they're just teasing. Sometimes I tease them, too. Kate studied the gravestones. Damp granite glistened around the hand-etched engravings. Otis Elmer Haggerty, 1883 to 1966. Dimple Elizabeth Haggerty, 1885 to 1973. Your grandparents were named Otis and Dimple? The lines at the woman's temples crinkled. Yes, Granddad Otis and Granny Dimple. I never heard of anyone named Dimple before. Me neither, except for me. No kidding? No kidding. I was born with a dimple in the middle of my chin, just like Granny. See? She touched her chin. Kate nodded, though she wasn't sure it was a dimple she saw or a crease. A single white hair jutted from a mole, brilliant in the morning sunshine. My mom and dad used to say they argued about what to name me until the moment I was born. That's when they saw the dimple. I was named after both grandmothers. Dimple with a Y, Louise Forbes. You can call me Dimple. Kate stood and offered her hand. I'm Kate. Kate Nielsen. Dimple grasped her hand with both of hers, a look of recognition. Maybe revelation flooding her face. A chill shot up Kate's spine. She shouldn't have revealed her full name. Kate Nielsen? Dimple smiled. I have a feeling you and I will become very good friends. Does that want to make you read it? I want to know what happens. Of course, I I have read it. A few more quotes. This one by Paul. I don't know how you say this last name. B-O-E-S-E. Forgiveness does not change the past, but it does enlarge the future. Here's another one. In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. And that's Matthew 6, 14 and 15, the message. Anger makes you smaller, while forgiveness forces you to grow beyond what you were. That's Sherry Carter-Scott. And one more from Max Lucado. Forgiveness is unlocking the door to set someone free and realizing you were the prisoner. And here's a, here's a little something from me, a vignette. Forgiven. There are many good words found in languages around the world. Words like love and hope and peace, for example. But to me, there's a word that's sweeter than all the others I know. You know, we all have the built-in ability to be jerks. (laughs) In fact, we excel at being imperfect. We have done so many things that have hurt family members, have wronged friends, have wounded animals. We've taken advantage of, insulted, and otherwise abuse those we know. We know we've done all this. 
So we long for forgiveness for our deficiencies, yet we are slow to forgive others. Even though we are by nature weak, lacking, sinful, and we know we fail every day, we are slow to forgive others who are just like us. I know I'm worse than others think I am. Just ask my wife. And if I were to be accused of something, it could probably be said that I've done even worse. But I'm forgiven. And when God forgives, he completely forgives forever. Everything you've done, everything you'll do, everything is forgiven when you turn your life over to Jesus as he invites you to do. Your load will be lifted, the albatross abolished, and you'll be freely forgiven and free to forgive. Free, released, unchained, acquitted, pardoned, exonerated. In spite of yourself, your past, your thoughts, your plans, you can be free. And when you have the knowledge that you have been divinely forgiven, the result is peace and confidence. You'll love it. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, happy reading. Thanks for listening. You can find more of Becky Lyles under the pen name Rebecca Carey Lyles. Her most recent novels, Winds of Wyoming and Winds of Freedom, have both won awards and made the Amazon bestselling list. Steve, well, he just really needs to get his stuff published. If you have comments or suggestions, send them to story at beckyliles.com. Tune in next week for more tall tales and fun fables at Let Me Tell You a Story.